Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. I feel like a lot of things like go through like fads and phases and cycles, right? And I feel like the current like way comedy is heading currently is I feel like we're heading towards a phase where people want to hear about you personally. There's billions and billions of hours of funny content on the internet. You have to give them something that they can't find on the internet. And the only thing that any of us have that isn't available on the internet is us, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think that's what it is. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and our guest today is a prime example of when opportunity meets preparation. We all are trying to go viral on social media right now, and this cat we are interviewing today has successfully, successfully? I should successfully be able to say the word successfully. Long story short, this cat's new to the game, only three years in, has already gone viral, built his own following, and is now selling out venues across the country. And he's a fan of the pod, he's a friend of the pod as well, known this cat since the beginning of his journey. So I'm excited to jump in to share his story and the how to how he has built and sustained a social media following to help you do the same in your career. That's our whole goal here, is comics helping comics, so do subscribe and tell your fellow comedians about this show. And there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with A.J. Wilkerson. You know, you don't need a lot. I think that's what we learned during quarantine is, oh, we need more than one stream of income. Yeah. Because I, I was on the road. I was about to be on the road more than I've ever been on the road. Like, I was, I was, did my 10-year comedy anniversary, and I was, like, about to be a touring headliner. I dropped my own comedy special. I was doing a tour named after the comedy special. And then, you know, come back yeah. from a gig, and then the next day, it's like, oh, the no world shut gigs. down. Yeah. Well, you, you got rid of your... You moved into a van, yeah. So and we're like, I'm going on this tour, and yeah. then COVID, well, right? Actually, the, the COVID happened before the van. The van happened because of COVID. So oh. I was doing the same thing. I had just gotten booked with this entertainment company for like a tour across the southeast, and that was like going to be my first time like leaving Florida to go do comedy. And so I was like, Yeah, we made it big time, you uh -huh. know? Yeah, yeah. Um, went like gave up my place, like moved to Tallahassee into this house so we could start rehearsing for the tour, and then the world shut down. So yeah, so they had luckily like the lease was paid like for the house for like six months. So it was like, All right, you got six months to figure your shit out. You know? <laughs> And that's when the van? That's when I came, I, I, I decided, I was like, okay, like, if I'm, if I'm gonna be homeless in six months, like, I'm, like, there's a way I could be homeless and do this, like, you know what I mean? So, I just decided to go for it. The next logical step is you live in a van with a leaky roof. I mean, it's that easy, Dude, right? If there's one, if there's one tip, one thing that's worked for me as far as, like, making it in comedy, it's... If you make it like necessary for your survival, you kind of do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, and as as comedians, we're we're addicted to it. So yeah. like, it's like by any means necessary. Yeah. Like I, well, and also like I'm autistic, and I also have ADHD. So those two things are constantly at battle. You know wow. what I mean? So like uh, like the like the autistic part of my brain was like, yeah, we have to like plan this out. We have to figure out like the right way to do this. And the ADHD part of my brain was like, if we stop to plan, I will die. (laughs) So we just got to move. It's like a, like, it's like that Dory, like just keep swimming. Just like, it's that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and researching you and what's so cool. First off, researching me. Well, research. Well, you know, I mean, we're we're here with AJ Wilkerson. This is a comedian. Three years into the game, I think we first we first physically met each other at the World Series of Comedy. Yep, at the Punchline. At the Punchline, and you came up to me talking about uh, how much you liked Hot Breath and Right Ten and the Right Ten. And then like we met other people in the Hot Breathiverse there, and I was like, oh my gosh, it was like one of my first like maybe experiences of like. Someone just coming up to me and like naming things in the hot breath of verse. Like, I like this and this. This is so cool. And so I was like, oh. And then now, like, that was a little over a year. I went back and looked at the photo we took. It was a little over a year later, a year earlier. And then now you're like what we call like a social media star, a social media comedian. Yeah. Like, it happened like just. It's like I meet you, and then you know. I guess you got the hot breath bump, and then he's like, "Yeah, I you know, did. But. I got that. I got that hot <laughs> breath bump." <laughs> but baby. what? But what? <laughs> what happened, dude? Um, I think just that same thing. Like I was talking about, like just that, like that need in my brain to like keep swimming. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and I, uh, I had, at that point, I think I was already uh, starting to feature for Jason Muse. So I was already working with like Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. Right. Yeah. Um, and because this then, was in May 2021. Yes. So that's when about about a year ago from now. Yeah. So okay. Um, and I was doing the World Series. The punchline was actually my first satellite for the World Series, and the, that was like my first like big like real festival because the only festival I had done before that was during COVID. So it was like a stream, you know, mm-hmm. so I was doing comedy in an empty room. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, it, at my own reflection, which is so <laughs> weird. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I started like worked my way through a bunch of different satellites cause it was, I had the van. So I was able to just be in those different cities. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, I feel like I've been lucky because, like, every step of the way, I've had, like, like either a mentor or somebody, like, in this business, like, give me that, like, an extra little push, like, when I needed it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, with the World Series, that was my first satellite, and I was, uh, I was in, like, the wild, one of the wild card rounds, and I didn't advance. But I got really good feedback about my set. But then, like, he was like, okay, if you can change, like, this, this, and this. And I was like, okay. So I went back, and I started, like, changing and working on it. And I was like, okay, I got rid of this, 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 and this, and moved these things around. And then I did my next satellite. And he's like, dude, that was amazing. You did everything I asked. But I still didn't advance. So I was like, you know. And then, like, there were new notes, you know. So then I I started working on the new notes. And I kept not advancing. But then I, I got invited to Vegas for the you know, like the whole main event. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it was because I had kept showing that improvement and kept like taking those notes as like, okay, this is like the challenge. This is what I'm going to do to get better. And 
you know, even though I hadn't advanced from any of the satellites, I still made it into like the top 100 and went to Vegas. And then same thing. I just kept working at it. You know, what were and what were some of those? What were some of those notes like that you were getting to like improve on? Because what I've what I've learned is a lot of people that listen to this, mm -hmm. they, they may not even do comedy yet. They literally may just like aspire to do it and yeah. they don't even know where to begin. And I think you may have been making a lot of young comic mistakes that you're getting feedback on that you were able to like refine and iron out. Kind of. Yeah. So it was that's kind of what it was like. One uh -huh. of the one of the main ones I remember was um, at that point, like. Uh, when we talk about like comedy structure and stuff like that, like I, I was at that point, I was going by like that old, uh, the old adage, like, you know, you put your closer, you put your best joke last, your second best joke first. Right. So I had this joke that I loved and it like killed everywhere and it, it did great at the world series, but it was a, it was like just an absurdist joke about like masturbating, you know? <laughs> and so the note was, he was like, you like, that's a, <laughs> Yeah, like ma like in drive-through lines, you know, like right, right, something of like course. that. Yeah, something very intellectual like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, great joke. Great like icebreaker crap, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, "That's a great joke, but like you're not doing like feature sets. Like this is like uh, you're doing like these are like competitive shows, so you have like seven minutes to let people know everything they can about you." Mm. Right. And so it's like, okay, so like I moved that chunk completely out. And I was like, if I need it, I'll save it like for one of the later rounds kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so it was things like that, like um, getting advice, because like at that point, I had been kind of just working on building up like sets and building like an act, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just take like the first seven minutes of my act and that'll be like what I'm using. And they're, they're, it's no, like it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Um, like you have to, do something that's going to differentiate you from the other, the, all of the other comics. Like everybody, when you're at that level, like everybody's been vetted as funny already, mm -hmm. you know? So like, what do we need to know about you? You know? So it was putting yourself <clears throat> into your material yes. more. And it was, it, it, it was not just putting myself into my material more, but lead with that, especially because like, um, being uh, autistic, like I stim, when I get up in front of a lot of people, I, I stim like my hands shake real bad. Like right now, like my legs bouncing and I, That's a little bit of it. Yeah, it's stimming. Uh -huh. It's self stimulation. Gotcha. So it's basically like for me, it works as almost like a uh, like a distraction. Gotcha. Right. Like because mm -hmm. uh, whenever I'm anxious, my I'm fully in like fight or flight mode kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But I'm not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so like part of my brain's like run away. The other part of my brain's like hit somebody. You know. <laughs> Uh, no, but just, but just from like the anxiety of, especially when I'm like around, like in big crowds of people. Yeah. Right. And that's why I was like, uh, when we were talking earlier about like, uh, you know, before when I was just thinking about comedy, I, it was something I've loved my whole life. I wanted to do my whole life. I just thought like, I, I thought it was just like regular, like, uh, like stage fright or like per, or performance anxiety or whatever. So I was like, well, this is just not something I'll ever be able to do. Because you tried it once and like puked and didn't even oh, go up, right? I uh, I wrote a full five minutes and then puked like before I even left my house. Like I couldn't make oh. it out of my house oh, to wow. go. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> but then after I got diagnosed and I was working with a therapist and an autism specialist and I got my medical marijuana card and then one night I was just very high. I was like, you know what? I think I could, if I like... <laughs> I think we can do this. You know what we, I mean? You yeah, and the yeah, weed. I was like, we can do this. 
You know what I mean? I, so, I, I don't know how many comedy careers have started with someone getting high and been like, we could do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was like just that extra little thing I needed to like make the attempt. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. then once like once you break the ice, like it's it's Pringles, man. Like once the, once you pop, you just can't stop. For sure. You know? Um, so then this became like an addiction. And then I start like I realized like how much it was helping. Like because before that I'd kind of like withdrawn and become like very hermity. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden I was like back around people and I was like rebuilding all of those social skills that I had like thought were gone, you know? Wow. So and before you got diagnosed, you were like super like hermity you're saying because you yeah, were married I, at one time right i was married got divorced and then once i got divorced and like there wasn't someone who was like contractually obligated to spend time with me you know i yeah. just uh, stopped spending time with everybody wow you know yeah uh so i just kind of retreated and it was kind of like ah maybe this just isn't the world for me you know uh and then the comedy kind of like reintroduced me back to society so yeah and something you've i heard you i was referencing earlier with researching you is you said you want to like help educate people about autism as well yeah so like what what do you wish people understood because honestly i don't know i literally don't like know anything beyond the word and maybe there's some like shows i've seen you yeah. know um i mean a lot of it is like just like showing that it's like it's a mixed bag like there can be a lot of negatives but it's viewed much more negatively than the reality of it you know what i mean and so people tend to like write off autistic people and uh, like as oh well they can't do anything but like here like i figured out a way to like beat my brain and like do this thing that i love doing and now i figured out a way to do what i love for a living so like yeah my brain's not built for like tr like a traditional society style job but i figured out a way around it so i feel like it, it's that it's like giving people like giving us our due in a, in a sense you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you can't just write us all off as like oh well you're you have to be this you know what i mean um so it's a lot of that uh and also a lot of that um like i said like mixed bag like it's uh, it's a spectrum right like um like especially like in like the media you only really get to see like one brand you know what i mean like uh like i have a a bit I've been working on about like how I'm not a fan of love on the spectrum because uh, again like uh, it's it's like cops right like they pick like the one the cases that are gonna look the best on TV uh -huh. like not the reality you know so they're not getting like a full they're not getting like showcasing the full spectrum they're showing like one color of it uh -huh. you know yeah, yeah so yeah. that's kind of my thing and it's the same thing like I, people hear autism and they're like, oh, like Rain Man autistic or like Forrest Gump autistic. And it's like, well, you know, both of those were like characters played by not autistic people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's that. It's like, oh, no, it's a it's a real thing, not just something Tom Hanks played in a movie once. So almost so. like just like not stigmatize, but like almost like humanize, normalize. like yeah, normalize. Humanize. Like, yeah. yeah, we're like people with autism are still people who like you're. A f like a working touring comedian like there it's not all like one specific stereotype i guess yeah okay and also like that not like you're the outlook like people like autistic people's outlook is only as negative as 
the people around them make it. Oh, you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. if you look at autism as like, oh, this is such a disability and such a shame, then that autistic person is going to grow up feeling ashamed of how their brain works wow. instead of trying to find the strengths in how their brain works, you know? Wow. So you treat people with kid gloves and they grow up and they still have to have kid gloves, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's some of that. It's like, like, let us experience our own challenges. Let us try and figure it out for ourselves, you know? It's interesting. You weren't diagnosed until... You were 30. I think right. Anthony Hopkins just recently as well. And yeah, he's, in his like 70s. 80s, yeah. I think. So I guess it's almost, I guess as more awareness and information gets out there beyond like this stereotype of people with autism, then that seems to be maybe opening up a little bit more as well. And, right. And I feel like that's kind of where I'm at as like, um, I f- like it's weird like I get like really cool messages from other autistic people and yeah. family members and stuff so it's cool like I feel like I I'm, I get to be a part of that like bringing to the light you know what I mean mm-hmm. um but yeah like with Anthony Hopkins like a, a big like uh like trait or like uh uh thing related to autism is masking right and like we're talking about Anthony Hopkins not getting diagnosed until in his 80s right Anthony Hopkins, this incredible, literally like Academy Award winning, Oscar Award winning actor, mm-hmm. right? Acting is masking. Like b- before I knew it was autism, like I just thought like it was like such bad, like this really bad anxiety, right? So I would basically like hide my anxiety, like, and just, just pretend like, oh, this is what like a normal person, like, oh, this is what my friends are doing. So I'm going to act like my friends are acting. Huh. I'm going to try and blend in so nobody realizes like I'm the broken one, right? <laughs> so it's like it, it's like a, it becomes like a for some of us it's like a life skill. It becomes like active camouflage. And same thing like I'm talking about like he found a way to use that to his advantage and make it a career so he was able to go 80 years without needing to like pursue a diagnosis. He found like the workaround for him, uh-huh. you know. And some of us some of us can do that and find that workaround on their own. I needed like I not having a diagnosis like it was another not anything I'd ever considered until somebody else pointed it out. You know what I mean? And then when I started going through the process and every every doctor I'd get to is like, yeah, we got to move you up the chain because like there's something going on here. You know, and so that like kind of coming to terms with it as you're getting diagnosed with it is like a weird thing, you know, but it's also it also helped so much because it helped me like put pieces together and figure out like, okay, instead of just trying to like keep putting my head down and trying to do things the way everybody else does them, maybe if I can figure out some different ways to do it. So like I went back to, I was, I had already gone back to school and like got my bachelor's degree in graphic design. So instead of like trying to be in an office full of people and burning myself out, I found remote work so I could work from home, you know, Mm -hmm. like I found little workarounds like that, but still not enough to keep like, it was enough to keep me surviving, but not living. If that makes sense. Ooh, that's deep. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I know. This is all the knowledge now. <laughs> but that, that's really cool that it clearly has a big impact on people because I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media now. And I feel like maybe it's it's kind of like your feedback in the World Series of them pushing you 
to put yourself out there more to even though you were new to comedy it's like what is unique about you what is unique about your own life that you can bring to the stage that isn't a generic masturbating in a drive-through joke right you know and, what i mean and and so there that was that big note is like don't like you can't start with something generic you have seven minutes like start with you yeah and then the other part was like because of like the way like my handshake and i'm you know i'm shaking like a leaf kind of on stage sometimes and they're like, even though like you're speaking confidently and, and things like that, like if you're not, and if you have a short set and you don't address that immediately, like, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I moved, started moving my set around and, and starting playing with like different structures and then realized like through playing with those different structures, like, oh, I can move some other things around and started like kind of figuring out how to like more like properly structure an act versus like I got five minutes let me add it to the other stuff I've got I've got five minutes let me add it to the other stuff I've got yeah you know? um and then but that like trying to study and work on the structure of my act like kind of forces you to develop new material because you're like well I have like I don't have anything that goes from here to here like how do I connect these ideas well now I got to write something that connects those ideas yeah but getting personal can be easier said than done, especially right. newer in comedy. I mean, it probably took me eight years to really start like getting really introspective and start talking about things I'm embarrassed about or things about my personal life that I wouldn't normally, you know, just reveal to strangers or friends, you know? So like, how, how were you able to start excavating these personal topics? Like, are there, you asking um, specific questions or what's that? Turns out when you withdraw from society and become an introvert, you already are doing those things. Oh. Like you're already like internalizing so many things and like, like trying to figure out like what's wrong with you on the inside. So you're already going through all of those things. So it basically, it's like, okay, now that I'm comfortable, like being on stage, I know how to write a joke and like, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in my ability to talk about something that's personal to me and confident to know it's funny. Like, cause nobody wants to tell something that's like deeply personal to themselves and then watch it bomb in front of 80 strangers. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, sure. it was one of those things was like, okay, I just spent like, you know, like a year, year and a half, like developing material and learning how to write jokes and learning how to write, you know, material and be funny. And now that I've got all this experience under my belt, now let me go back and try and like start to it's like looking at some of the things that I want to dig deeper into. Mm -hmm. um, and what do I want to say about this thing that's really important to not just me, but a lot of people. And it's one of those things that if I fuck it up, pardon the language, my breath, oh, yeah. uh, but <laughs> if I mess it up, yes. like, People are going to be angry with me, you know, and it still happens occasionally, you know, but like I'd say, like, even with like the following and stuff that I've gotten now, like one out of every, you know, seven, eight hundred comments or whatever, like I'll get I get like two or three negative messages or comments a day. Mm -hmm. Like it still happens. Like not every, you can't please everybody, of course. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was one of those things like I had to. I had, to, I had to know that I was funny enough to talk about those things without failing entirely, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know if you're like this, but, like, once you start to get a little more experience under your belt, you can, like, have an idea, and that first time you write it down, you already know with, like, 85% confidence this is going to get a laugh. Yeah, I hope. But you, <clears throat> right. you really you, never know. That's why it's 85%. It's a lot yeah. like meteorology. Yeah, yeah. You know, like... <laughs> 
This has a 72% chance of last. You yes. know? We like, all hope, but until you get yeah. on that stage is when you really know. Right. Yeah. But when you get to that point yeah. and then you're like, okay, and then you can like, okay, I'm going to take this thing that I'm like 72% confident in and I'm going to run it through like two or three mics and then like see where it, what needs adjusting, run it through a couple more mics, see what it needs adjusting. Mm-hmm. And okay, now this bit is what I thought was 72%, uh, I might've guessed high, but now I've polished it up enough that I know like in the field, it's getting laughs 90% of the time. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's that, I guess like building the confidence in your joke writing and your like ability to be funny to start looking at those introspective things. Like, and I think that's the, I think that's like, I haven't met a comedian yet that doesn't have imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. none of us really like a hundred percent believe in ourselves, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of like that. It's like, if you can figure out a way to like beat that a little bit, you know what I mean? And then, and start getting introspective. Yeah. Um, you just have to have the confidence to do it, you know? And I think that confidence does grow from just figuring out how to be funny first. I think a lot of younger comics, especially like they see like Bill Burr say, you know, women should not be paid as much as men or something like that. And they're like, oh, I want to go have a hot take like that. It's like, well, he's right. spent a couple decades <laughs> developing the craft of comedy to be able yeah. to make these points. It's like, learn the rules and then you break them. So it's like, how can you make your dog funny? How can you make your job funny? And kind of slowly learn how to write funny material. And then you can start to get more introspective as you get more confident in your writing ability. No, it's the exact same thing with exactly, like with heavy topics. Yes. And like, and that's the other thing. It's like, uh, a lot of like young comics today, it's like, no, we're going to talk about politics and we're going to talk about like all of these like really heavy subjects. And it's like, Dude, you can't make people laugh with dick jokes it's yet. It's got to be like, funny. Come yeah, on, yeah. It's man. It's got to like, be funny first. You got to start with the basics. It's got to be funny first. Yeah. The fun, the funny dementals. Yes. All right, we'll cut that out. <laughs> all right, that was so whack. <laughs> I just do. I just like canceled out all of our good insight we were sharing. It was good until he said funny dementals, and then <laughs> Fix It Felix really ruined the the podcast there. So let's um let's get into the whole social media situation here yeah. because I just had Catherine Blanford on here who just went viral. She went viral like a few weeks ago and she was like still trying to even like she was still trying to even when we talk about imposter syndrome, she's like it's still think at any moment it's all going to disappear, yep. you know, and they're going to like be like, oh, we're just kidding. Like it wasn't, we're going to take all those followers back. Or she was starting to work with David Spade and she, the whole time she thought, oh, when I get to the hotel, they're going to say, Ashton Kutcher is going to come out and say punked. But the whole social media situation is so interesting for us comedians because it is like we're seeing everyone is now just posting all of their stand-up clips and they're hoping something goes viral. And for you, it like, it worked. And like, you know, you have at, at the timing of this interview, over 400,000 followers on TikTok and over 100,000 on Instagram. So like what, what were you, what did you, what do you think you did to get these followers or like, like for me, I'm like just blindly posting whatever, at, like there's no real thought behind it or whatever. Like what, what is kind of your approach to social media? Um, 
So that's it's definitely a lot of that in the beginning. It was like just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what worked. Mm -hmm. And then like um like I had a couple uh like crowd work kind of clips and like just things like that start to get like a little bit more views. And then like my TikTok went like uh like it it started slow and then it just like it went faster and faster. Uh, and so eventually it stopped at like 78,000. And then I was like, okay, now, like, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, cause that's kind of like what it is. It's uh, okay. Going viral on social media is a lot like calling an emergency town meeting without having a speech prepared. <laughs> like everybody shows up and they're like, all right, we're here. What now? And you're like, give me a minute. I'll get right back to you. You know? So it is a, it's a lot like that. But then, um, like, I just think, like, those interactions, um, it was something, like, something about the crowd work interactions and something about, like, um, we talk about, like, like comedians that have, like, attitude and things like that, like, with the specific material. Like, what's the attitude you're going to take towards this? What's the attitude towards you're going to take towards that? But there's also, like... There's like a feeling that we, that like comics convey to the audience, mm -hmm. right? Like you, the audience can tell when a comedian is having fun. They can tell when a comedian is nervous. They can tell when they're drunk. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. And but a lot of that is it's that it's like I feel like people can tell that I'm having a good time. And so, like, there's something in them that's like, look at him go, you know? I feel like it's that. Uh-huh. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, I'm terrible with names. This is a, it's a thing I have. But the old, like, the original, like, that roast comic. Uh, Don Rickles? Yes, Don Rickles. Yeah. Okay, Don Rickles could call anyone any name he wanted because you could tell it was tongue-in-cheek. Like, you could tell there was no malice behind it, no, like, ulterior anything. Like, he said it because it was funny and clever, and he's, like, smirking, like, hope, like waiting for you to be in on the joke with uh -huh. him, right? Yeah, yeah. And because he was able to convey that and the audience could feel that, that's what, like, made him special, right? Yes. And I feel like comics are so, like, focused on, like, I want to be cool or I want to convey this instead of just, like, what are you like? What? How are you normally? Like, what's what are your characteristics that are the best? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. show people that. I I love having a good time, and I'm one of those people that like when other people are laughing, I'm a contagious laugher. And then when I'm on stage, like especially like especially once it's going well, and I feel like I'm on a roll, I'm already laughing, imagining them laughing <laughs> at the next thing. Uh huh. Right. So like I feel like that kind of is conveyed through like even on video, I feel like there's a part of it that you can just tell yeah you know? yeah so i really think that's like the like the different thing that people like noticed with my videos uh but that was like again just on tiktok right and like my tiktok kept growing eventually uh a hundred thousand um and then it like i kind of creeped and crawled a little bit more um until i i just decided i was like i'm gonna get like take all of the things that i'm doing and I'm going to start like mixing it up. I'm going to start trying to add in more types of content, see what people like, see what people don't like. 
because it is kind of a numbers game. Yeah, how often you know? are you posting? Right now, not a lot. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing I realized was like that that first like 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 if you when you go viral, there's like this panic as a creator because like I said, like what do I say? Like what do I do now? Yeah. Right. But that's kind of because that's what the platforms make you think you have to do, mm. right? Like they tell you like the only way to really go viral is you have to post like five times a day and you have to do this and you have to... You Were know, you doing like, that early on? I tried, yeah. I, yeah. Tr- I went through different periods of it and what I realized is if you, like... I can go through cycles, right? If I, I can, I can like bank a couple of videos that I'm like, Hey, this is going to do really well. This is going to do really well. And then I can be like, okay, I'm going to put these 10 videos out in a seven day period. And one of those videos will go viral or like, you know, get like uh, half a million views. And then those people will, a lot of those people will go watch some of the other videos. And then those videos will get picked up by the algorithm and start getting their own follow, uh-huh. like kind of thing like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also typically by the time you get to like that third video and you're starting to get traction, the next video will kind of just keep piggybacking off of that. So I kind of started doing that and like just kind of like instead of just putting out like something i was like let me let me put out these things right like let me kind of start curating what i'm putting out and that's what started kind of working interesting what were you putting out different crowd work clips different like old bits or something like that i um i'd have like i i i uh, like was switching cameras and was always having a, a hard time like getting good tapes of stuff. Yeah. But I'd get a good tape and I'd be like, okay, this bit, like I'm kind of like, I don't use it anymore. So like I'm going to wait until I get like two more good clips and then I'll put all of them out in the same week. Gotcha. You know, mm-hmm. or, oh, I have this joke and I'm going to put this bit out, but I can technically break this bit into three videos. You know, I want to do like a part one, two, and three. Yeah, well, not necessarily that, but like these jokes are like this part of the joke is funny by itself. You don't need the rest of the joke to laugh at this part. Oh, nice. Right, so yeah, this yeah. can stand on its own. So I can post like the full joke, or and I can post like this joke the day before as like a teaser to the full joke. Okay. Kind of thing. Okay. You know, um, and then so that started working. But then the other thing that really helped. Was and this is a. Uh, are you familiar with Ben Brainerd? Yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. Ben Brainerd, um, uh, we linked up uh, and I featured for him for two shows in like Chicago, and we were talking and he's like, "Hey, these are some of like the things that I've like found have helped like my videos in the algorithm, right? Like things like making sure that you have like a full vertical video without the black bars, like in like the different platforms can recognize that and it like basically it's like negative points you know what i mean um like towards like your algorithm score yeah yeah interesting um and then he was saying like uh facebook and instagram right now reels uh like have a higher like are like weighted like a gpa like reels are weighted heavier because they're trying to compete with tiktok so they're trying to bring get people to like bring their videos to facebook and instagram so I took con- like uh, some of the content that I had already banked from TikTok and having been on TikTok for so long, I hadn't I had posted like two reels on Instagram in like three years. So I was like, okay, let me start putting stuff on 
Instagram. And then I figured out like a cool, like, like a workflow thing, right? Like I realized like if I edited the video like in Facebook reels and posted it on Facebook first, I could download it with no watermark. Because if you post something on TikTok and then post it on Instagram, Instagram can recognize the watermark, negative points. Yeah. But Facebook, with no watermark, I can download it from Facebook and then post it to Instagram and TikTok. So I'm do- getting three times the output with the same amount of labor. Wow. Right? So I started figuring out things like that. And in 60 days of try, like, I basically was like, I, I was like, okay, for these like two months until something works, I'm going to post a video at least every other day. Super right? attainable and like sustainable. Right. A lot of times I'm like three a day. Here we go. Right. And then day three, I'm like, I hate. Comedy. No, I was like, I want to post something every day, but I don't have to make a video every day. Mm. Or if I sit down one day and make a bunch of videos, I can space those out. Right. And that also gives you the chance to like mix up your content. So you don't have like three clips where you're wearing the same shirt, or, you know, from the same <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah. It's like, how do I start mixing this up? And in 60 days on doing that on Instagram, I went from like 7,000 followers to 130,000 followers. And on Facebook, I went from like 3,000 followers to 85,000 followers. Posting a stand-up clip every other day. A stand, sometimes it was a stand-up clip. Sometimes it was uh, like it would be like a material clip. Sometimes it would be like a crowd work clip, or uh, sometimes it would be um, from like on my TikTok. Um, I got like a like a company reached out to me. Um, it was like a like a booking company, and they're like, "Hey, if you want to come to like stay in our places for free when you're in our cities, all you have to do is make us TikToks, like make us funny videos." So I made a couple like really fun sketches. And so since I had to do them for my Instagram anyway, I was like, hey, this is like free content for me. So I'll post them on my other platforms and still shout you out on my other platforms. And so like I kind of mix in stuff like that. So Uh like sketches about like, you know, like Airbnb nightmares. Right. You know, so I'd like post some stuff like that. I'd post um, to some like sometimes I'd figure out like something random to post, you know. But I just kept it going and it just worked, you know, and like some of the clips were like were better clips than others. But uh, I think it was like trying to for me, it was figuring out like, okay, what's my most effective way to do this? Because I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to have to put out. I don't want to have to like drive myself to just put out content every day because like. okay, it's like our stand up. If. All you do every day is write 10 new jokes and go tell those 10 new jokes. Like two years from now, what happened to those jokes you told like eight years ago? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like with stand up, like we're, con- we're constantly trying to like whittle down and refine and like, uh, like cultivate and curate the best possible version of this like like if you think about stand up as content we're trying to curate like a perfect hour of content right right mm-hmm. so why would we not try and do that with our social media like why would we not try and like decide like hey this is what i want my bar to be you know what i mean 
Um, and so I started doing that and like stuff that I was like, okay, well, this isn't like, this isn't something that's going to work in my act and I don't, I'm not telling it on stage anymore. So, okay, let me try and figure out like a good, like put it, like let make sure it puts its best foot forward for social media. And it's something that if I were, if I'm not me and I scroll across this, am I going to find this funny? Am I going to find it interesting? Am I going to engage with it? You know, oh, that's that a, kind of that's thing. another good <clears throat> filter to put it through though. Is if like. Because a lot of times we feel obligated, or I feel obligated, and I, I feel like I haven't found a sustainable system yet, like a workflow yet, because like I have a ton of podcast content, I have a ton of stand-up content, like I have a ton of content, but it's like actually posting it, I, I don't know, I, I guess I haven't found maybe the... I don't want to say motivation, because I know it's important, but I haven't found a consistency with it, maybe a rhythm with it yet, and... Right. But that's, but that's why I feel like that's why most people struggle with it is because it's like, you're trying to fight like your natural rhythm and your natural, like, just like with comedic timing, right? Like you develop comedic timing over time. Like you figure out right. your own comedic timing. Mm -hmm. You can't just go copy somebody else's. It doesn't work the same. You know, yeah. Um, like you can try and copy other people's cadences and inflections, but then it just—it's like—is he trying to do Seinfeld right now? You know? Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's like you—you you have your own natural rhythm, and then there's like the rhythm that like the out like the algorithm and the platforms tell you you have like if you you have to keep up with this fast-paced thing or it's not going to work but that's not true if you are engaging and pe like and i think that's what it is is like um like are you also engaging with the people commenting on your posts like are you do you put are you putting out like a, a like is there a vibe you like your content is putting out like you know um, are you like, does your community, like, are you growing a community? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I have people like, like at this point, like I posted something the other day, like, you know, that, uh, like that really popular sound from all the, like the, my money don't do yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, right. For sure. Well, because I like shaking stuff on stage, I happen to get like a really good clip and angle and shot of me. Like I was on stage <laughs> and I was laughing and the way I was laughing, it literally looked like I was doing this like shimmy. <laughs> right? So I put it to that music and oh. then like looped it. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. a couple of times. It was like wiggle, wiggle. wiggle. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and like I literally just like somebody commented. He's like, dude, I love how you just look like you're always having a good time. Yeah, that's great. And so I commented back. I was like, hey, thanks a lot. Like I am having a good time. Yeah. You know? But I, it's that. It's like, what are those things that like the people like... <sighs> It's social media. You're trying to convince strangers to like you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you there. You have like friends and family members who were also at one point strangers who you convinced to like you. So what are the things they like about you? Show the people on social media that. Wow. Because then they're they're going. That's going to make them like develop a connection to you. So even if you haven't posted in three or four days, they're on your stuff so much that when you do post, you're popping up in their feeds. Because they're liking every time you post. They're coming back and commenting. You know, like it, when you post on like your Instagram stories, they're reacting to your stories and like like commenting back on like, you know, if there's something in the story, they're like, Oh, like this happens to me all the time. You know, when I post like an ADHD fact or something. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of that it's like figuring, I think it's, it's not figuring out how to get, how to blow up on social media. It's how do you figure out how to be yourself on social media? 
And I think if you can figure out a way to do that, then it'll work out. Bars. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> Yo. That's dope. That's a great tip. And I think it maybe a good place to start is, like you said, would I watch this? It's like, that's right. a big thing to put it through. Because I think a lot of times we're like, well, what will people like? What will, what will get, catch the wave or whatever? But you said... You, you want to make sure you're posting stuff that you enjoy and that you would actually watch and consume and share. So that's actually that's a good place yeah. to start with whatever you create. So, yeah, I do feel like it's, like, multifaceted. But, like I said, like, if you check, like, double check, like, all of your technical stuff. Like, make sure your video's vertical. If you can, like, put the subtitles on the video. Mm-hmm. That pumps it up in the algorithm. Make sure you're using hashtags. Um, I, a little hashtag tip, I guess. Hashtag tip. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag tip. I, what I do in something, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it's helped. Like, honestly, I honest, still don't fully understand hashtags. All right? It's basically Bitcoin. <laughs> like, uh, they, it's helping. I'm doing well with them. Don't really understand how it works. Uh -huh. But um, I mix up my hashtags. Right? So, like, I go, I, like, get a reel ready. I go to post it on, like, TikTok or Instagram or anywhere. Um, most people would just be like, okay, I'm going to pick like, the, like four hashtags that are all like 5 billion or 5 million or whatever. But, uh, the more, like the hashtags are kind of weighted with like how many followers you have. Right. So when I had 10,000 followers, I would find like a hashtag with like 2000 likes. And then I'd find a hashtag with like 10,000 likes. And then I'd find a hashtag with like 50 or a hundred thousand likes. And then, like, what would happen is, like, let's say that 5,000 hashtag, let's say my video got some traction on that. Well, that traction would help me get traction in the bigger hashtag. Mm -hmm. So if you're just posting big hashtags, you're never going to get traction in there because you're, you, you're not, like, basically you need, you need a fluffer. Right. <laughs> so you, I, was, you, I was using the small hashtags as fluffers to get me traction with the bigger hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a, a social uh, media term. That is yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. So that, Fluffers, that's going to become yeah. a, a job title on Fiverr. A social media fluffer. That's what it's called. I be. would hire a social media fluffer. <laughs> if somebody on LinkedIn like posted like looking for work, social media fluffer, <laughs> hired. You obviously know how to create engaging headlines. Well, I mean, you're really like the first person that I've really heard talk about social media and like that authentic way of like not how can you go viral but how can you become <clears throat> yourself on social media and everyone has a different answer yeah. for that but that but, connection okay but see like like uh you have a thing that I don't have right like put it you put you have thousands of hours of content right so your issue is like trying to figure out like okay what parts of this like highlight my authenticity and what parts of this like highlight the parts of my personality that I think people like right um, but when you figure out that thing that, that, that like brings people to you, you have this giant content library ready for them to make their way through. Right. right. And like, that's what happens. Like when you start like going viral is this video starts going like super viral. And then those people start trickling down through, Oh, let me look at all of his other videos. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So you have to have something out there. Um, so I think that's what it is, is trying to find out, like figure out your natural rhythm, what's going to make you comfortable with putting things out there 
and trying to figure out how to like be yourself and authentic. And I, I would say that's not just for social media though. I think that's also, I, I feel like uh, a lot of things like go through like fads and phases and cycles, right? And I feel like the current, like the way comedy is heading currently is I feel like we're heading towards a phase where people want to hear about you personally. Right, like they want to hear about like your life, your insights, the things you you know have learned, like um, you know the things that you trip up on, the thing you know, the things that you fucked up, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, they want to hear about you because they want to connect with you. You know, there's millions and I would say billions. There's billions and billions of hours of funny content on the internet, right? So what's going to make you so funny and memorable that they're going to be happy that they left the house to come see you, right? Like you have to give them something that they can't find on the internet. And the only thing that any of us have that isn't available on the internet is us, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think that's what it is. Preach. <laughs> Preach. Oh, man. This is this is hot fire here, AJ. This hot, is hot breath. This is hot fire hot breath. I didn't breath. rush specifically for this. <laughs> yes. Just, well, yeah. I knew when, when we met at the punchline and you were like talking about hot breath, I was like, yeah. <laughs> hot breath out here. It's cool just to meet people that like listen to it and follow it in like real life. And then you're like, oh, well, it's, it's like working. I love like the nuts and bolts of comedy and like what we do. So I do too. Yeah, and that's what's cool about this podcast is it's like an under the hood kind of thing. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, for sure. Um and there's like dude, like the the Mark Norman thing with Seinfeld about just like locking yourself in a room kind mm -hmm. of until you can put something on the paper. Yeah. I have to do that sometimes because of the ADHD. Like literally my mind is bouncing in so many different directions all the time that it's like, no, we're gonna in the closet all right yeah i mean I'll, I'll go to the library sometimes like if i'm sitting around i'm like i just can't even sit here i just have to go to the so library. there's a library uh by uh my girlfriend's house in kansas that i will go to sometimes because i can either get like one of the study rooms mm -hmm. you know or they have these little uh like desk chair pod things that like it's wrapped around like privacy wise nice. so i can like literally face that towards the wall and i'm in just like a little pod yeah right yeah, yeah. and so i'll do that sometimes but literally like if i'm on the road and like i had a, an idea and it's like okay like i'm in Portland and I had this funny thought about Portland and I want to make a Portland joke so I can get a clip for social media, right? <laughs> of course. You know, I will literally like in my hotel room, I will go and sit in the closet with my notepad. So like, I can't see the TV. I can't, you know, like I'll leave my phone out there so I can't like get distracted and start doom scrolling through social media mm -hmm. or play like a game or any of that kind of stuff. I'll sit in the closet sometimes until I figure out like, okay, this is, Oh, I could say this. Okay. Like, if I can get something down, you know, um, so sometimes I will do stuff like that. But there's, I feel like that's the stage I'm at in comedy. Like, I still feel like I'm like a comedy baby, right? So I'm still trying to figure out those things. Like, I'm throwing a lot of different, like, writing styles and ideas and things at the wall and seeing, like, what sticks and what's comfortable for me. Um, and you're three years in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the rule of thumb is 10 years until you even start figuring out what direction you want to go like until you even start finding your voice they say 10 years and like i mean and i i mean i'm i'm 12 years in but really like with covid like i hit my 10 year anniversary and then covid hit and like you know then like 
I feel like I'm just still getting back into the rhythm of like live shows and stuff. So it's like, I'm still trying to figure it out. I've interviewed people 20 years in the game who are like, I'm still trying to figure it out. So it's like a never ending Rubik's oh, yeah. cube, you know, but three years. Yeah. You're, yeah, you've, you've got the whole world in front of you. Oh, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but like I said, I feel like that's the thing that like everybody struggles with because they're, we're always chasing our heroes. Right. Uh. So it's like, Oh, how does, Seinfeld do it. Well, I'm going to do it exactly how Seinfeld does it. Well, yeah. you do that for six years and you don't get the Seinfeld results and you're like, okay, well, what now? Like, I wasted six years because I wasn't willing to try something else. So I feel like that's the key is, like, try all of the different things. Just yes. keep trying. Like you did with social media. Yeah. Keep trying until something sticks. And that's true even with, like, getting laughs yeah. on stage is, like, you talk about social media posting and then the mm -hmm. audience let you know what they like. The audience in stand-up will start to reveal what's funny about you. Yes. Whether it's certain things you talk about or how you say certain things or facial expressions. Uh, like that old adage, like uh, comics say funny things, comedians say things funny. Oh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. uh, some of the comics like I look up to the most and like I think like want like study the most are those guys like i like two of my favorite like right now they're theo vaughn and dusty slay because oh, if yeah. you listen to theo vaughn talk about anything mm -hmm. you're like he just says things funny you know mm -hmm. and dusty slay is the same way and like so it's kind of that it's like i want to like the, they're different skill sets i want to like develop and like add in as i go you know and so I feel like everybody has those certain things. They're like, I want to do this. We'll learn how to do that. Like, yeah. Um, being a Swiss army knife is obviously like the ultimate goal. Like everybody wishes they could be a Swiss army knife, but you can't, you don't just get all of the tools at once. Right. So you like start with the tools that you want the most, that you're going to be the most engaged with and build from there. Yeah. Cause you're going to put the most work in getting those. And if you like, you'll look back and be like, Oh, I have these five tools and these five tools got me this far. And then you'll start working at developing those other tools. So exactly. that's, I guess what I've learned so far. For like, sure. Yeah. It's all yeah. one, one thing at a time. Like I started out as one liners and then like started getting more storytelling and then more animated and act outs. I'm still like working on all of it, but it is all like one skill at a time. And then over the course of years, you'll look back and be like, oh, I have all these skills that I've just developed over show after show after show. Yeah, I realized like two years in, I had all of these like natural act out points and I wasn't doing, I was like, I'm not, do, like, I'm doing something, but I'm not doing anywhere near enough. Mm -hmm. And then I started working on, like, practicing weird facial expressions in the mirror and, like, what does my face do when I do this, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And also, like, vocal inflections and stuff. Like, I already, my voice already, like, shakes in a slightly higher pitch some, just from the anxiety of being on the stage. So it's like, okay, how can I, right here, I'm going to go low, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's... Just figuring it all out. You're right. It's all of the little pieces, and I will literally talk about all of those little fucking nuts and bolts all day long. I'm like Count Chocula. What is um in your three years like? What is like a like a story? You know, I always ask comics on here like a bad bombing story, or like getting booed or something. Like, what for you is there? Is there a show that you'll just never forget that you you got it? Okay. Right here in Atlanta. Oh, no, I don't think it's right not, right not, te not technically Atlanta, but Atlanta. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, the Miami Lounge. 
Oh. They used to do sh- they used to do comedy shows there a little while back, and uh, it was right after. Uh, it was maybe like a month, month and a half after I first like got the news from like Jay that I was gonna be like going on the road and like featuring for him. Yeah, and that was basically you won a contest to open for him, and then he loved you, and then he was like, "Let's go on the road together." Yeah, just for people that may not know. But yeah, so I did uh, my research. I yeah. just wanted to, I didn't want to skip over that big moment in your career. of you getting to start opening for Jay? I was trying to be news. humble, you know, but, but I just want people to know yeah. the context you there. Yeah. Back to fluffing. All right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, but so yes. I had just started like with that. I think I had, uh, I hadn't even done like my first gig with him yet. I just like had it on my calendar. You okay. Know? Feeling, um, you're feeling yourself right now. Oh yeah, you're yeah, you're yeah. the comedy's next big thing. Oh yeah, like well, uh, not so much that, but like yes, like very proud of it and stuff like that, and like I'd already posted and stuff about it. And I came I came up here to Atlanta and I was doing a show at the Miami Lounge, um, and one of the other comics on that show was uh, Chris Harvey, who's a buddy of mine, so fantastic. But this was my first time I ever met him, okay. right? And I didn't know until I got to the club that it was like an urban room, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm already like a little in my head about that because I haven't done a lot of urban rooms because I'm I'm also still like at this point a year and a half into comedy, you know? So I haven't done a lot of rooms, period, yeah. you know? Um, but so I'm already a, a little in my head about that. And then Chris Harvey comes over to talk to me. He's like, hey, man, like uh, I saw like on social media, you're the guy that likes is likes is going to be featuring for Jay and stuff. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, cool. He's like, I actually featured for him in St. Louis at the Funny Bone like the week before that happened. And they were talking about me coming on the road and featuring for him. And I thought he was going to be like a dick about it. Yeah. Like I was fully prepared. Like as he's talking, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But instead, he was like, he couldn't have been happier for me. He's like, dude, I saw like a, a couple of your things like on social media. Like, I didn't have a whole bunch at that point, but he's like, I saw a couple of your videos and like, dude, your whole vibe just fits his show's vibe wow. better than I could have, you yeah, know? Yeah. And he's like, so I'm so happy for you, blah, blah, blah. And then he like that, he like after that show that night, he gave me like so much like great like comedy big brother advice. Like, he was the one that like gave me advice about like how to make my merch and stuff like that and making sure that I had merch. He's like, dude, if you're going with Jason Muse to these big shows, you need to have merch, right? Um, and he's just throughout like still gives me all sorts of like great advice and stuff like that. But he was so nice and congratulatory about how like like I deserved this thing and all of that, and he's so happy for me. And then I went out to feature for him and f- bombed my ass off. And in my head, I was like the whole time at every joke that's not going well, and I every single one I was like, he's getting more and more pissed <laughs> that I got that job, like every time. And then the the only other bombing story I have. Um, like a really good one isn't from like an actual bomb, but I did the, uh, recently I did the Bloomington comedy festival. Right. Mm-hmm. And the headliner for one of my shows is Caitlin Palufo. Dude. Yep. Do you know where this is going? She is so funny. Okay. Like she's so funny. She makes me feel less funny. Dude. Right. D- yes. Okay. So dude. she's the headliner for this show. Dude. I go up, I do my set, it's like eight minutes or whatever. 
I'm in my head. I'm like, that went awesome, right? I come off stage back to the back of the room where she's at with the other comics, and she's like, you know, the, the other comics already on stage. She's like, hey, dude, that was a great set. Like knuckles, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm she's like, great. Yeah, the headliner liked my set. Yeah. That comic that in between us came off stage, and then she went on. And two minutes into her set, I looked at the other comic that saw her fist bump me, and I said, "Hey, was she fucking with me?" <laughs> Because I literally, she was so funny. I was like, there's no way she actually thought I was funny. So you're like, saying she was so funny, you thought you bombed? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Like she was so funny, she had me like second guessing everything. Oh, yeah. Like, because like I was like, no, no, no. She complimented me on my set. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Like... It was that. It was like she had to have been fucking like she couldn't have meant it. Like like in my head, it made literally so funny, made me start questioning myself. But she but nice people say oh, nice so things. So fantastic. You know, yeah. so she she was genuine, I'm sure. Yeah, no, absolutely yeah. she was genuine. After the show, she she's like on her way out, she was like, uh, she was like, uh, your set was again like so good, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, like reconfirmed, she still thought I was funny. It was like it was super nice. But just in that moment, like like she just complimented me. I, I'm basking in this glow. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Really soaking in that moment. And then she just starts crushing so hard. I, like it turned my light off. Yeah. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, the, every time I've seen her, yeah, it's, it's, there's just, there's just levels to this, dude. Right. There's just levels to this at every turn. Whenever you think you've got something figured out, you're going to see someone who has even more figured out. So that's just focusing on your own journey. Right. Okay. But that, but I view those kinds of things as like challenges. Like, okay, she's, I feel like she's so much funnier than her, which means I have to put in so much work to where oh, I feel yeah, like sure. I'm at that level of it's funny. It's inspiring for sure. Yeah, you let it inspire like, you, not like demean Yes. You. Okay. I look at it as like, almost like uh, like running like cross country, right? If like you're running cross country and like another runner passes you, you can like be bummed about it or you can just like fall in line behind that runner and be like, okay, I'm gonna like figure out what's like, you know, like reduce my drag, like figure out, you know, something to figure out how I can keep pace with this mm -hmm. person. Yeah, yeah. So I do think about it more like that, but also it's cool. This is like, I don't, like this is like just one of those weird things. So I got asked like a, like a, maybe a month after that festival to I got asked if I would be interested in headlining a different comedy festival with Caitlin Palufo. Mm. So I was like, okay, cool. So in my head I was like, okay, like I have to start stepping my game up now so that when I get there I don't feel like I got buried in the dust, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. I got to I got to all right, I got to like get ready, I got to prepare so I can come in here and prove I belong in this category, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And yeah, there's something about that like I I think because I grew like I grew up with like a coach dad, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, like the things like that, like I don't ever view like I don't ever. I'm never mad at somebody else for being like you know like oh they're funny or oh fuck you for writing that joke that I wish I had thought of. Right. Like I just view it more as like okay I got to get better. I got to get back in the gym. You know like yeah. I got to get stronger so I can keep competing. Because to me like it's friendly competition. For like, sure. And it's yeah it's like. I think we're, we're all salesmen together. for the same company. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. All. Yeah. I, th I'm, I think I'm hoping that's a new, that's the thing with hot breath is like the community being positive and supportive. Cause when I started, it was very negative and competitive and I'm hoping this new kind of culture and comedy is, it seems to be younger comics are helping comics each other. And there's so many examples of 
I mean, things Bill Burr has done to produce comedy specials and things like that. And so many comics are doing that. So it's, um, I'm hoping that's kind of the new norm in comedy is yeah. us helping each other and realizing there's enough for everyone. Well, and so same, like my early experience in comedy was in like a small, like uh, a smaller scene where there was a lot of like drama and negativity. Mm. And then when I started getting on the road, I started realizing like, oh, like, yeah, that exists. And there is still a lot of it in comedy. Yeah. There's also a lot more optimism and positivity and like you're right like the right tin and and hot breath network and like uh that night at the punchline i met like five other hot breathers yeah you know? i so did it too cool. it was awesome yeah and uh and yeah like there are people from that like hot breathers that i met at that punchline event that like i'm i still friends with we still talk i'm staying at one of their houses this weekend so i don't have to pay for an airbnb the entire time oh, I'm here. That's you know awesome and so it's that it's literally like we like we we built this uh like fraternity right and it's kind of like that like if you think about it in that not like from like the sexist standpoint yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, like not like a, not like a man only thing but like a what would that like be a, uh community um, but there's like a know. camaraderie. It's like suit. a co-ed housing situation. <laughs> it's a co-ed fraternity. What, what do they call them? What are the, the all-inclusive? What, um, what do they call the bathrooms that you can be either gender? I don't know. I was trying to make I was it. I calling bathrooms, man. Gender ne- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you got to come up with a different name for them? <laughs> gender, yeah, gender neutral. But I know yeah, what you're yeah, saying yeah. not fraternity, but it, yeah, like I... Like community is all I can think yeah, yeah, of. Yeah. But yeah, a place for everyone. Yes. Yeah. It is a, a f- not a brotherhood, but a familyhood. Familyhood. We created a familyhood. A familyhood. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it is cool. Like, like, is like obviously it's one of those things where like never, not everybody's like everybody's never gonna come on board. You know, you're always gonna have that. You mm-hmm. know, those negative people and stuff like that. But it's weird because like you, I. I've noticed, especially like the last several years, you notice like the people with like the positive outlooks and the people that are nice are the people that end up getting nice things. Yeah, for sure. You know, and Mm -hmm. I do feel like it is kind of turning that way. So it's very cool seeing that like, oh, this is something like we've already been doing and I'm not like not starting the trend, but it's cool to see that it is trending in that direction. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's also just it. Okay, it's. The closest thing I've felt since being in the army, if that makes sense. Comedy? Yeah. Wow. Because it is, it's like, um, like in the military, if you move from like one base to another, you're in an entirely new squad, entirely new like coworkers, group of people. But it's, there's still a certain baseline level of camaraderie because it's like, hey, we both signed up to do this one thing that not everybody else is brave enough to do. True. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the comedians are brave by <laughs> any stretch We're, of the imagination. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to compare them to like our nation's heroes. Of course not. But there is like a sense of camaraderie among comedians and that like that sense of camaraderie is the mo- it's the closest thing I've felt to that thing you have in the military. Mm, yeah, I agree. And so that's been really cool. Like, so it doesn't matter like what city you're in, there's always going to be people in that city, like other comics in that city, they're going to be welcoming and friendly and things like that. Of course. They recognize that same camaraderie and familyhood. So. What, what what happened at the Miami nightclub? You just said you bombed and then that was it. Like, no, what, it was just, it was what just, what was the bomb? Me, Oh, it was my regular material, but at that time, like... You just didn't get laughs? Did they boo? Did they leave? Um, 
I Where's just the heartbreak? I didn't here? get a. I didn't get anywhere near the laughs that I like normally get. And like, there were a couple jokes. Like when I said I'm, I was autistic. Like, uh, <laughs> like there was like such a, like a long silence, and there was literally like an older black woman, and you could just hear, and she's like, "Oh, baby," <laughs> like that, and like. Like normally, like there's like a silence, and I can ride that silence, and then come right back. Like, ooh, you feel how uncomfortable everybody just got. But for them, like they didn't get uncomfortable; they were just confused and sad. That's you know? okay. So that's why I like, followed up because right. I I came up in urban rooms in Atlanta, so like I know that exact scene, like uh, that type of show you're talking about. So I, I wanted to picture you in that moment like yeah. bombing and well, what and happened. and like I said, that was before <laughs> I learned that lesson about like start with the thing that's unique about you. Exactly. Like, why are you different? Start there. Right. So I started with like the generic like absurdist material and like it was funny, but it was like nobody was really engaged because they're all like, what's going on with them? No connection. You know, like, yeah. So... Um, so I bummed and that was one of those things he also brought up that night was like, dude, you gotta like, you have this thing. You need to lead off with this thing. Like throw the haymakers right out the gate. Like yep. you have to do that in these rooms. Yep. Right. Um, and so, but it was like, like I said, it was just doubly painful because I was bombing in front of this dude that like had in my mind at that period, because I had like had such like a negative start to comedy in my head. I was like, he has every right to absolutely hate me, you know, but then he was so nice and so supportive and now I'm bombing. And he's like, <laughs> I, in his head, he's like, I take back every nice thing I said to you. Like I should be opening up for Jay yeah, right now. Like in his head, he was like, I, nope. I was wrong, you know? So that just made it, like, extra painful. And, like, even now, like, going back, like, we joke about it now because he's, like I said, he became, like, a mentor to me and, like, a big brother, and we still, like, talk almost every week, like, about comedy That's stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, but, and so, but just in my head, like, my anxiety level was like, oh, now he hates me. Mm. As you're bombing, yeah, like, I was like, the this is going me, so Chris poorly. Yeah, me. this is going so poorly. He changed his mind, and he totally <laughs> hates me now. And then he was actually outside just smoking. He wasn't even watching you. He, wa he probably reality, watched my first couple minutes, and he was like, mm, he should have started with that other stuff, and, and then went outside. Like, yeah, because a lot of times we're like, oh, the comics are watching. They're like, no, they're they're outside. They don't care a lot of yeah. the time. So yeah. So yeah, that was really the the the, only, the real painful part of that. And then my only other one uh, was a it was an open mic in Orlando, Florida, and I was hosting, and I was coming off of the road like I had literally was coming from a show like I had just done a weekend with Jason Mewes. I was like, yeah, I'm doing great at this comedy. Of course. Thing. Come back to Florida. I'm do I've got a weekend booked in Orlando. So I was like, yeah. And then uh, another comic was like, hey, I saw you're coming to do that. Do you want to host Copper Rocket the night before for an extra 50 bucks? And I was like, yeah, why not, right? <laughs> I'm rich. Literally during my host set, I say something about being autistic and a drunk lady that didn't hear the full thing was like, you can't talk about autistic people. And I was like, I am autistic people. <laughs> and she literally got like charged, like got to the point where she was trying to like charge the stage. And the guy who booked me to host was having to stand between her and the stage. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you're, are you still trying to do material? Or are you yelling back at her at this uh, point? I'm like kind of yelling back with her, like back and forth. 
Uh, other people in the bar are like booing at her, telling her she's wrong. Her date, it turns out she was on a first date. The guy she was on the date with, I called her a Karen at one point during mm. the interaction. And he literally turned and he's like, she really is a Karen. <laughs> uh, and so the bar eventually, like I finished my host set, handed it off to one of the other comics. And then I went like outside into the smokers area where the other comics were to like, catch my breath and calm down. Cause like literally I was like, this is the first time anything like that had ever happened to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, still the only time something like that's ever happened. But so I was like, like outside some of the other comics are like trying to help me calm down and the bar kicked her out. Her date stayed to watch the rest of the show. And then she like, because she was like angry and pissy and whatever, she like yelled something and then like squealed her tires out of like the parking lot. Uh, but like <laughs> she was driving a Nissan cube and that something about that, like still to this day upsets me. It was a cube. Yeah. Because like, how dare you think you're so right about something and still drive a Nissan cube. Like you obviously <laughs> don't make good decisions in life in general. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> for sure. Um, wow. But yeah, so that was the only other like real like bad, bad story, you know? Uh, other than that, like I just, I started bombing just like everybody else until I stopped bombing. Yeah. And now you never bomb. You're No, no, no. I still, I had a bomb yeah. last night, I feel like. I did a rooftop bar here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, And yeah, yeah. Uh, I was the last comic. The show was running a little long. Oh. And then the, and then it started raining and part of the rooftop was open. So half of the crowd just left. <laughs> So by the time I went up, there was like 19 people. And I think most of them were also autistic. Because they <laughs> At least did, they were by yeah, the end of it. Yeah. But they were the kind that don't get humor because they did not laugh much. Oops. But no, it's one of those situations where like after the show on the way out, people are like, hey, you were super funny. And it's like, oh, of you should have told your face. Sometimes yeah. people are, that are just sitting there watching you, not even laughing, are the ones that come up after. A lot of the times, those are the ones that are like, oh, I had a blast. Thank you. And you're like, you didn't even laugh once, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. My face is just, <laughs> it can't, I can't move it much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, I, I'm so grateful we did this and I totally forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot. I forgot your hot breath water. What? I'm so embarrassed. There's your hot breath water. Hot breath water. I forgot to bring that out at the beginning. Oh, you could tell I was getting the cotton mouth, couldn't you? you could As we're talking about I got bombing. those little, Dang I don't it. know if you guys can tell in 4K, but I got those little like old man white flecks around my mouth. It's that cotton mouth from that medical. Mm-hmm. Wait, which you travel a lot. I guess you can just, you have a card that you can just have. I have my medical card in Florida. Um, a lot of states that like, some of the states I travel to that are like recreational, I can like get stuff from there. And then other times I break the law. Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I have a question. Oh, so you just travel with this stuff. You're like, well, Sometimes, just travel. Yeah. I feel like, like if you have a medical card, though, it should. Because so I'm a lawyer. I have, I have like a video I put out on YouTube about that because I was like, I was in Portland doing Helium with Jay. And uh, I somebody at one of the shows like literally brought a big, like a Tupperware container full of like, like marijuana. For me. And they were just like, uh, we like hurt, like, 
we heard your story before. Like we came, you, the, you're awesome. Like we want you to have this. And that like literally that marijuana was so good. I was sitting in my hotel the next day. I went outside, I smoked a joint of it. I went back upstairs and I called my girlfriend because I was crying. And I was like, like, but like happy tears. Uh-huh. Like, cause literally I was like, babe, like I'm so like relaxed and happy and like de-stressed right now from this weed. And then I literally started talking about like the weed and like, I was like, like the way, like the way I feel right now, like before I got diagnosed, there was like a couple year stretch where I didn't think I'd ever feel like happy again. Whoa. You know? And like, there was a period of time where like, I was like calling the, like the VA crisis line, like multiple times a week because I was like afraid I would hurt myself. Right. Like I just, I did not want to live on this planet anymore. Right. Um, but then like I started, like I got diagnosed and I started working with like an autism specialist and therapist. Then I got this medical marijuana card and like, I literally, the joke is like, I have one, I have those, uh, those like tubes that like the pre-rolled joints come in. Well, some of them like they're, like they're like aluminum tubes and the, t- the cap is like rounded and it'll be like white and blue or like different colors. And they literally look like Fortnite bullets or like what I imagine a Fortnite bullet would uh-huh. look like. And I literally, I made that joke that night in Portland. I was like, uh, like, so now like whenever I like, I get the big sads, like instead of like hurting myself, I just like unload one of these Fortnite bullets into my brain, uh-huh. you know? And it's, so yeah, it's it like it not only gave me like the fuck around and find out to like do this, but it also like helped me like get through like this thing with my brain that like it's one of those like uh what comes first, like the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Like do I have depression and anxiety because like because I'm autistic or do I have depression and anxiety because I was autistic and went so long without being treated and trying to like basically like found unhealthy coping coping mechanisms for my brain that caused these other things to develop. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I know that that helped. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when nothing else I had tried in 30 years helped. So it's important to me. And at this point, like this is what I do for a living, right? Like I'm not going to lose my job over getting busted with marijuana. Um, And I like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm in, I'm a service connected disabled veteran. I have my medical marijuana card in my home state. If you really want to like arrest me for having marijuana in a place where I'm not supposed to have marijuana, like I'll be the poster boy for getting this law changed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've had like three or four people already like, like basically, uh, offer to pay my bail if that happens, because it's like, it's unfair. It's an unfair system where somebody who like, who, who has a medicine with a proven documentation of how well it works for them, for them to not be able to have that medicine. Like you don't tell a person who's on like blood thinners, they can't have their medicine because they crossed the state line. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Wow. Yeah. I, I was bringing up weed and then you brought up calling the crisis line. <laughs> I'm like, Oh man, my bad dude. I didn't no, mean man, to like, no, it's just, but I, that's I appreciate why, you like, sharing that though. Yeah, But that's why, like, like I said, like I, if I like most places now it's a ticket. If somebody really wants to haul me off to jail, then we can do the whole thing. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm at a point where I'd, I'd rather have it. You know what I mean? I'd rather have, have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And if that means that I have to like bend some rules, then let's go. So what, what was the, 
I know we're, we're trying to land this plane, but it's like, <laughs> what was the moment that you got diagnosed? Because it sounds like you were like a hermit. You were depressed. Is this like you were thinking about hurting yourself and then was getting help for that? That what led you yes. to getting more information about autism? Like, yep. so it took all the way to where you were thinking about hurting yourself. I was at the VA hospital in uh, Cape Coral, Florida, down near Fort Myers, and I was trying to get information on like how I could like basically turn myself in, like to like for like a seventy-two hour hold. I was like, I'm seriously afraid I might do something to hurt myself in the next like several days. Like, uh, I felt like I was in this downward spiral that I couldn't get out of. And literally talking to like the nurse as she's doing my intake stuff, she just looked up from the paperwork at one point and was like, have you ever like been tested for autism? And I was like, no, why? And she's like, she's like, uh, she's like, like, I obviously can't like diagnose you or anything, but I have a nephew who's about your age and who's autistic. And like, you just remind me of him with several of the things that you do. And so that night when I left the, ER at the VA, she uh, gave me like some information to look into and I started looking into it. And then I started, I found like some different online tests and started taking those. And every one of those was like, you should see a professional. <laughs> like <laughs> we like, we have some bad news that we just can't tell you, you know? And eventually, uh, like, uh, like I said, I had already started like withdrawing from society, like, like well beyond like a normal rate at that point. And uh, it had gotten so bad, I'd like I moved to Fort Myers to move in with one of like my best friends in the world because I wanted somebody to keep an eye on me. Wow. And so then I moved like I found out that the only place in Florida that could really do like um, like diagnoses and like consultations and stuff for adults was the University of Florida. And that's near where I'm from. Like I grew up in that area. So I ended up moving back to my parents house and going to the University of Florida and then getting like uh, my recommendation for official diagnosis. And then they sent me to like a, like a person to give me my diagnosis. And then like from there started kind of climbing back out. Wow. Cause like, it, like getting, for me, it was like a, like imagine being born underground and not knowing there was an above ground and then all of a sudden someone was like, hey, there is an above ground and there are these tools you can use to get there and I can teach you how to use these tools. And it's like, well, I've just been digging in random directions with my hands for three decades. So yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like ev that just changed everything, you know? Uh, yeah. You said you kind of referenced like uh, you said bad news, but it sounds like it was good news. You said, you, oh, you, then you were like, oh, we have bad news for you. Like someone saying getting a diagnosis, but it sounded like it was good. Well, news. no, it was good news. It, well, but that's what because so many people think about it negatively. One of the first reactions I got from someone was like, hey, I have bad news. About you being autistic? Yeah. Wow. A yeah. Professional? A, a, professional? a medical professional. Yeah. I had another medical professional and I have a bit about this that I used to do, but I had another medical professional at the VA on my, like his little notepad that he was taking notes with during our session, literally wrote retard strength. And I read it upside down. I was like, are you fucking serious, dude? What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because he was asking me like, um, oh, sorry, this, this battery just died. Oh, you're good. I was dead. We're almost done now. 
Dude, this has been so much fun. Yeah. Also, didn't realize like, uh, I guess because we like we have met before, and we have like a like I'm familiar with you, so you're not like a stranger. Yeah. Dude, I fucking haven't been able to stop talking to you, man. Right now? Yeah. I'm normally, oh, like, I feel like I'm normally like kind of bottled up around people until I oh. get to like interact with them a lot more. Oh, whoa. But, yeah, I feel like because I've watched the. <clears throat> the show before and like i've been like part of the network it's yeah like, it's like kind of like the force i'm like you're not a stranger no more <laughs> well good man i'm glad that's the whole goal with uh, the whole the yeah. whole show and the whole community and everything is for people to feel welcome you know that's the whole goal what is, is that your medical no this is uh nicotine because i'm a piece of shit <laughs> no, no, it's, dude. Hey, you're not a. It's it's called Florida, dude. Relax. That's it's not. <laughs> well, I, okay, like comedians. Like I feel like comedians it as a like whole. Looks like a little USB drive. I know, but I feel like comedians as a whole are keeping the tobacco industry alive. Oh, you know I, what I there's mean? so many comics who like started smoking because of comedy, or they relapsed back into it because of smoking. Yeah. No, I. Uh, I am from Florida, comedy, and I'm yeah. not from, like, the beachy palm tree part of Florida. Uh, so between that and then being in the Army, I dipped for, like, a decade. I puked every yeah. time. I puked when I tried it in high school, but then, when like, afterwards when I was in the Army, somebody got me to try the pouches, and so I started with the pouches. I puked with the pouches, too, Ooh. dude. I just, my, my beta male energy could not handle. <laughs> I tried to look alpha with that dip in. Dude, I puked literally... Every single time. And I tried it a lot. I wanted to like it so bad. And I just got sick every time. Yeah, I got used to it in the <laughs> army and then couldn't stop. Like, I was already addicted. So I dipped for, like, a decade. So then I switched from dipping to vaping. And so the plan is, like, uh, like by 2024, I want to be completely off tobacco. Yeah, you can so, do it. Yeah. You can do it. I want to get, like, fresh start for me and whoever our president's going to be then. You got it. So. I got yeah. it. We'll, we'll do a follow-up then. and yeah, be It'll like, be, like, both of our inaugurations. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, like, from this point forward. And I'll be like, never again. <laughs> I, I've had a friend who quit smoking, and they said that they just hated themselves for a year, and then it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's all. Yeah. But everyone's hey, different. Hey, I did that for a, I did that for a couple years. I could I could squeak by out one Easy. more year. Yeah, yeah. a year. That's Easy. that's that's child's play. You got this. <sighs> yeah, but yeah. okay. But I also like started trying to quit around the same time that I was like trying to get diagnosed and stuff like that. So it was a, like try a lot to try and balance all at once. So I was like, you yeah. know what? I'm just gonna switch what I'm doing so like I don't like lose my jaw. And then I'll figure out how to stop the rest of it later. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. this. I believe in you. So. Yeah, well let's um let's land this plane. That was a good that was a good sesh there. Yeah. What um is there anything else you want you want the world to know or is there anything we didn't cover? Anything? Um I don't think so. No? I don't think so. Where uh, where can people uh, follow you and check you out um, your work and AJ Wilkerson comedy on Instagram. Uh ajwilkerson.com. Um my TikTok is Captain Autism Comedy, um, but everything's on my website. You can find all of it, and then all of my tickets and stuff are in my link tree, linked in all of my social medias. So, yeah, yeah. and you're 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 doing a lot. Like you're creating a lot. I mean, you 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 press your own shirts, but you're you're doing your own like yeah. skits and shooting all sorts of stuff. Like so, you're 
you're an example of someone in the in the comedy game that's like you're not resting on like your what is working. You're really trying to build on what you're doing and trying a bunch of different things. And I think it's important now, as you mentioned, Swiss Army Knife, for comedians to realize that it's like stand up is like just one of the many things that we can do. So yes. start to look at how to diversify your skill sets, whether it is video and photo editing and audio editing. Or it is doing your own merch and things. It's like, yeah. what else it's can like you a, do? It's like playing video games. <laughs> like if you like those like kind of games where you like build your characters and like specialize in different things. Like it's like literally a skill tree. You like stand up. It might be your main skill tree. It might be the one you've like over. You like you want to develop the furthest and be the strongest at. But you still have to develop other skills to like m make it through certain points of the game. Mm -hmm. And that's. It's the same thing. AJ Wilkerson, thanks yeah. for being on Hot Breath, Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely, man. Woo! All right. <sighs> this was, was a lot of fun, man. <laughs> I seriously had so much fun. I'm sorry if I went way too long. No. There it is, Hot Brother and Sisterin. If you found this episode helpful, tell your fellow comedians about us and go subscribe to our YouTube channel where we do two live streams a week, all to help you level up your comedy game. And until next Monday... Right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.